Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They have been in North Mississippi financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Good to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Borky, what's up? Trying a new pair of glasses today, so uh, since you're going to be glasses, yeah, since you're going to be seeing me tomorrow, I didn't want to startle you. Okay, so can you not see? Nerd. It's it's not about my vision's actually it's as close to perfect as you can get without it actually being perfect. But it so be, it's a fashion statement. Well, my wife really likes them for whatever that may be worth. But I I found online they're blue light glasses, and what they do is if you are they're actually designed for, to be honest with you, professional video game players. But if you're behind a screen all day, mm-hmm. I mean, I was coming home with, with, you know, just like sore eyes and little headaches and stuff like that. What they do is take the blue light, or at least deflect the blue light out of your screens, your phone, computers, whatever, and in one day I can't begin to describe to you the difference it's made. I've got a buddy that uh, did that a while back. You know, he was would be up late at night on the computer a lot, was behind a computer at work all day and he wasn't able to sleep and it was causing him headaches and apparently they've helped it's crazy and it like i took him off a second ago to look at my computer just to see and it's it's a subtle difference and so and there may be something down the line so i'm not going to tell you who it is because i may be able to tell you who it is from a different capacity but um it's a subtle difference. So, like, when you first try these, if you're like me and are behind a computer screen all day long and you want to try something like this, at first you're like, oh, this is dumb. I just spent, you know, 60 bucks on these glasses that, I mean, th- this is nothing. But from 8 a.m. to when I got behind a computer for the first time to now, I-, I can't begin to tell you how much better I feel. It's crazy. It's just a little change, but I, I feel good today because of I, these You glasses. just inspired me to put my sunglasses on while I look at my computer screen. Probably will help. Think so? Hey, Dad, you stare at a computer screen a lot. You ever thought about getting uh, some blue blockers? No. Isn't that what this is, Borky? I mean, you remember blue blockers, the uh, commercial from a few years ago. Same same idea? I am not familiar with that commercial. You should Google blue blockers. That's, uh, it was yeah, like it's kind of uh, like this. Yeah, it is. But... Um, I, I, I look, uh, they're clear, or at least they appear clear. There's a, a very faint, uh, faint blue tint to them. But, yeah, they don't look like that. <laughs> I look normal. 
but yeah, they do take just a, a little blue tin out. But yeah, it looked good, I think. There you Normal go. is a relative term, though. Yeah, I mean, with me especially. But right. they're not these orange, oh, I mean, ski masks that I've pulled up on Google. No, it's not that. I used to mow grass like when the sun was setting and no longer you couldn't wear sunglasses anymore. I would wear the uh, the yellow tint shooting glasses, and then you know you'd go like into the night if you happen to be cutting late and would you know affix a light to the front of the lawnmower with a wrench or something along those lines. Keep wearing the uh, shooting glasses; they'd help you see at night. Do you guys? Uh, Hey, Dad, I know you're old enough to remember this. Did you do Boy Scouts at all? Do what now? Did you do Boy do Scouts what? or Cub Scouts no. like years and years never, and years ago? I never did Scouts, no. Do you, um, well, you may not remember. They, they used to, there used to be a magazine. Like when you were in Cub Scouts, you got the Boy's Life magazine. And in the back, oh, there I've was... Read, I've read Boy's Life, yeah. Okay. So at the back, there were all these like little ads of stuff that you could buy. And they had x-ray glasses in there. Yeah, yeah. I always wanted to order a pair of those. I don't think mom ever signed off on that. It tells me they didn't work as advertised if I had to. You don't think so? No, I don't. That's a bummer. What's up, Rippy? Not much. I have real glasses beyond, like, Xboxing and stuff. (laughs) I don't wear them that often. I mostly go contacts, but I do have glasses. Yeah. I actually have a pair of glasses also. Just don't wear them very often. My vision's not very good. Um... Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395, Ceasefire, customer inspired. A lot of good stuff going on at Ceasefire right now, some good deals for you to take advantage of. It's actually in Ceasefire just uh, oh, an hour and a half or so ago, uh, trying to get something figured out on my uh, my phone. So, uh, Joey and Madison sends us a, uh, a text, says, man, I love those blue blockers. <laughs> I love it, love it, Borky. The, the the old school kind. Of, they were like they were so big that you could just like put them over your regular glasses, so you didn't have to have prescription sunglasses or anything. You could just wear regular glasses, and then they had like the little ridge that would you know along the top of them where they would rest on top of your glasses. <laughs> That's the look you should try next. What do we got coming up this afternoon? Peta weighing in on Mississippi State. Hey, Dad, how's this being received? Probably like a, it's probably going over like a lead balloon, if I had to guess. So didn't they call the dog soft? Essentially, he can't take a hit. That dog took a hit and came back. Exactly. How dare they call it soft? I don't understand it. This is an outrage. Marta Holmberg, who's senior director of PETA, issued a statement. It was sheer luck that this close call didn't leave Jack severely injured or even dead, and it's never been fair to subject a dog to the bright lights, screaming fans, and booming noise of a football stadium. PETA is urging MSU to be a dog's best friend and end its live mascot program, and will gladly help find Jack a loving, adoptive home where he can live out the rest of his days in peace. He already has a home. I want to see the loving, adoptive home that that treats that dog better than he's being treated right now. That dog lives better than me. It's called steroids, PETA. I'm surprised Booby Whitlow didn't bounce back. Steroids for who? Bully. Jax. Are you are you accusing that dog of being on steroids? That it's is not a illegal hell of an the, It's not illegal for him to be on steroids. I'm, I'm saying, saying I'm surprised Whitlow didn't recoil more. 
He's lucky, you know, he didn't get uh, bit like that dog. Uh, Auburn has had tough luck with dogs through the years. Remember that was it the it was Uga that took a it was uh, Uga that took a, their players took yeah. a bite right. Oh, the uh, these the these like popped up immediately. The it was the only bulldog that touched Booby Whitlow on the run. You, you saw that Jack bouncing better than other players. Hey, hey, nothing's going to change though on the live mascot on the sideline thing, is it? No. They've been hammering this 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 drum for two decades, and animals still are on the sideline. I want Mississippi I, I, State to like draft a formal letter with like the the university official letterhead and all of that stuff, uh, signed by Mark Keenum that just says no. Period. Just no. I would go. I would, Dr. I would go a different Keenum. route. I would have John Cohen film a video while eating a steak saying no. <laughs> Peter, in a lot of ways, is John like Cohen here. Hold on a second. This steak is so good. Peter, in a lot of ways, is like the political parties in the country. Like they, I'm sure they do some substantive work, and then they just die on some ridiculous hill like this. And it's like, why are you focused on this? The dog got hit by a football player. Who cares? He's I, okay. I, I love live mascots. I, I will say that at Memphis, where the sidelines are a little tight, regardless, like. Just period. There's not a ton of extra room. The fact that they're allowed to park a truck with a trailer behind it. You got a buddy buddy with the tiger. With a tiger inside the trailer, like just steps beyond the field of play, strikes me as probably not the safest thing. Not so much for the animal. Tom the tiger lives quite well. I talked to his handler, his, uh, talk to him. His handler, his, not to Tom, the guy that takes care of Tom. His direct quote for me was, we don't have a lot of nice things at the University of Memphis. Tom is one of them. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting way to uh, to look at things. So, that tiger, they keep that tiger in pepper. Gets all the pepper he wants. They hate cinnamon. Can you imagine they that they got loose on Beal or something? <laughs> a tiger? That tiger. Yes. That would, uh, it would not be so good. Mike from Madison Any tiger, says really. the... Uh, the x-ray glasses didn't work, but you couldn't convince any of the girls until they looked through them. Chased every girl in the neighborhood all afternoon one day. Remember go. when Jackie Sherrill castrated the bull? Peter loved that. When is the shark tank coming to Oxford? I proposed Maybe that idea that. a long time ago when they were like trying to figure out what the whole mascot deal would be. Live suit. shark would be cool. Throwing the man in the suit in a tank would also be kind of funny before games. Which man? Whoever's the shark. <laughs> oh, the bottle opening lizard. He's yeah. a land shark. Why would he go in the tank? Well, I mean, he wouldn't I, I, it's a lizard. Be out of his yeah. comfort zone. Yeah, but but my thought was before they went the whole land shark, go with an actual shark, and then like team up with a marine biology program and create a an aquarium set up in the north end zone. Anyway, that didn't get very far. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. We're going to get to plenty of football this afternoon, but a little lighter on the football content this week as Southern Miss has an open date coming up. Mississippi State has an open date this week, and uh, you get Ole Miss facing off against Vanderbilt on Saturday night. But we are... 
basically five weeks from the tip-off of basketball season. It gets here in a hurry. Ole Miss had its media day yesterday. Uh, Kermit Davis sat down uh, along with Devontae Shuler and Brian Tyree and talked with uh, members of the media, including Brian Scott Rippey, who was uh, was there yesterday. There seems to be a pretty fair amount of excitement for the uh, the upcoming basketball season. Yeah, there is, and I think they got a, a chance to be pretty good in a much deeper team last year. I don't know. Just looking at the court, it was interesting seeing – like I'd like to see a side by side of last year's first practice versus this year's because the way Kermit's just physically reshaped the roster is pretty remarkable. In a year, a lot of new faces. Yeah, a lot of new faces, but a decent amount returning. But yeah, I mean they've had a significant amounts of roster attrition, but it's just mostly, particularly in the front court, they'll look a lot different. They'll play a lot differently. They will not look recognizable to last year. I'll put it that way. What? Um, how so? More mobile bigs, interchangeable positions. Like you'll have three guys that look pretty similar in terms of frame. Not exactly the same, but you'll have guys that could play more guys that could play multiple positions. As far as new names go, Austin Crowley is a freshman from West Point that was at Sunrise Christian Academy in Kansas last year. Is he going to play? He's not redshirting. He'll be in the mix to play. Hadim C. is a junior college transfer who's originally from the Senegal, most recently at Daytona State, uh, 6'10 to almost 50. Yes. And is expected to play a big role, right? That is the thought right now. Um, Carlos Curry redshirted a year ago. Franco Miller redshirted a year ago. Sean Robinson is a new addition. He's 6'11, but only 210 pounds uh, from Chicago, uh, but played. Last year in Arizona, does he factor in this season? No, he's redshirting. Going to redshirt. Bryce Williams, junior college player from uh, Tampa, also was at Daytona State. What about him? Yeah, no, they. I mean, they don't. They don't really normally take JUCO kids to to sit them, and so yeah, I think he'll definitely be in the mix. But again, they've got ten, eleven. They've got 12, 13 guys that are kind of in the mix to get in the rotation. How they trim that down to 9, 10, or if they go beyond that um, kind of remains to be seen. Not a, not a whole lot known at this point. And Tavian Column? Yeah. Red, red shirt, play, no, no, freshman no. guy I mean, a year ago. No, the only one really announced as a red shirt right now is, pro, is Sean Robinson, of course, Jarkel Joyner. Sammy Hunter, 6'9", 230, high school player from the Bahamas, uh, played in Canada last year. Jarkel Joyner, who is from Oxford. You may remember when he was like a junior in high school, or maybe it was his senior season, he won a slam dunk contest. I don't know if it was like a Nike deal or Hoops Hall or where it was, but he won one of these slam dunk contests. Ultimately went to Cal State Bakersfield, where Rod Barnes was the head coach, has transferred back. He's sitting out this year. Um, we'll take Brian Tyree's scholarship next year, more than likely. John McBride. Is a redshirt freshman, Connor McKay, just another name on the uh, on the roster. Um, Luis Rodriguez coming back as a sophomore played some a year ago. Does his role grow this season? Yeah, I'd heard this all summer, but Kermit kind of confirmed it yesterday when I asked, and it said if they played a game today, Luis Rodriguez would start. Really? Yes. Okay. At what spot? Wing. The whole positionless thing. 
I mean, yeah, he's a he's a swing player. He's a wing player. I mean, slashes the basket. Okay, natural rebounder. Fair enough. Two, three, maybe a, probably not four. Sports Talk Mississippi. You can text the show 601-879-4395. That's the uh, the ceasefire text line. Ole Miss was an NCAA tournament team a year ago in year one under Kermit Davis. It was a huge turnaround. They were picked what thirteenth or fourteenth in the SEC last year. So dead, dead last. Fourteenth. And they end up making the NCAA tournament. I think when the preseason picks come out, again, you'll probably see Ole Miss picked in the bottom third of the conference, won't you? Probably. There's a lot of new. I mean, A&M, Arkansas, Alabama, new coaches. Vanderbilt probably going to struggle. But somewhere in the... 8 to 11 range, and the team probably has aspirations to finish top five in the league. I mean, Devontae Shuler said that yesterday. So, I mean, I don't think as many people will be caught by surprise by Ole Miss this year, but again, the league's very deep. State should be pretty good again. Florida's probably the best team in the league. Kentucky, I don't know. I mean, right up there with them. Auburn should be okay again. It's a pretty deep conference. Uh, Auburn made that run to the Final Four a year ago, but they certainly lose some key pieces off of that team that went so deep. We'll uh, we'll see how they uh, bounce back. It feels like it, it, is this year top to bottom, and and it maybe is too early to to really legitimately answer this question. But one through fourteen is the SEC this year comparable to what it was a year ago? You think it's slightly better? Do you think it's maybe a step back from was it where it was a season ago? Depends on what how what success some of these new coaches have in year one. But I would think like. Comparable. You upgraded coaching-wise across the board. You added Eric Musselman at Arkansas. You added Buzz Williams at A&M and Nate Oates at Alabama. I don't really know what to make of Stackhouse. He's kind of the outside-the-box hire, but add that into what you already had a year ago, you would think the brain power as far as architects of the program are stronger. So eventually it will be better than it was last year. I don't really – I mean, it's September. It's October, actually. Oh, uh, yeah, it's October 1st. Excuse me. Could you not walk outside and tell that it was October? Yep. 96 degrees. Really crisp. <laughs> Almost put on a jacket. We should hey, be getting what? a drop-off in a few days for whatever that's worth to you. It'll be yeah, in the yeah, high 80s that, next week. I was told that before the Memphis game. <laughs> the two-week out forecast didn't really uh, stick around. Hey, Dad, on the Mississippi State front from uh, from Hoops, when do they go through the uh, kind of the preseason media day, talk about everything? We will talk to Coach Howland and Coach Schaefer on Thursday. Okay, so that's coming up uh, later this week. Everybody's starting practice uh, a month out. We've got, uh, I guess we'll have some preseason games right at the end of October. Uh, and then we jump into that uh, first week of November where you've got basketball games that count. It gets here in a hurry. Rippy, you look like you had something to say. Ole Miss has an exhibition against, I can't remember. Mississippi College? I want to say it's Mississippi College. Look it up, but... Uh, free admission in that, but their proceeds are going to, um, I believe, November fourth. I'm, I'm blanking on the hurricane name. Bahamas. Uh, it just happened. Why am I blanking on this? Well, now you've made me blank as well. Okay, let's all blank. The uh, so season opener for Ole Miss is uh, Friday, November eighth. That first exhibition game is uh, Monday, November fourth. Hey, did last time I looked, there was not an exhibition game on the schedule for Mississippi State. Has that changed? Has not changed as of yet. Is there a thought that that's going to change? Uh, I would think so, but you know what? I'll be sure to ask on a Thursday when I go talk to Coach Allen. There we go. Dorian. 
Hurricane Dorian? Yeah, I mean, Sammy Hunter um, almost has a, you know, uh, women's coach, Coach Yo. There's some Bahamian ties there, Franco Miller. Sure. Uh, Mississippi State's opener is Tuesday, November 5th against Florida International. So they will play FIU in the season opener, and then we'll turn around on Friday night, November 8th, and play Sam Houston State. Let's see, I cross-reference the football schedule. November 8th, Mississippi State. Uh, okay, so that's off. an open date. Yeah. yeah, so off on the 9th, so open date uh, with basketball game the uh, the night before. Um, as far as preseason tournaments, Mississippi State at preseason, at pre-conference play tournaments, Mississippi State will play in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. They will play Tulane. That's in Conway, South Carolina, so hosted by Coastal. Uh, and then we'll play either Middle Tennessee or Villanova in their uh, their second game. And then they also will go back to New Jersey and play in the Never Forget Tribute Classic. That's the one where they play out at the uh, Prudential Center. This year the opponent for Mississippi State will be Kansas State. They played Clemson in that game last year, right? Correct. And they won yeah. that game, yes. Yeah, that was a big win. Uh, Ole Miss will play in the uh, NIT tip-off. Uh, Penn State is the opponent on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. That's in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. And then we'll have Thanksgiving Day off. And then on Friday, we'll play either Oklahoma State or Syracuse. Uh, so those games uh, also in the New York metropolitan area in Brooklyn. That's a really cool building, Barclays Center. Uh, when the Rebels come back from that, they'll have a Tuesday night game on the SEC Network against Butler. Uh, played in Indianapolis a year ago. This year they will have Butler at home. Pretty uh, pretty good non-conference schedule. So, hoops just around the corner. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Luke Johnson joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. When we come back, we'll talk some Southern Miss football with him in the Renaissance Bank studio. Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. He is co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. It's always available for you online at supertalk.fm. We'll get into football, but uh, we were talking basketball just a, uh, a few minutes ago, Luke. Somebody asked me uh, Mississippi or, uh, about Southern Miss's opening schedule. Exhibition game against Mississippi College on Tuesday, October 29th. And then Jay Ladner's squad will jump into it for real starting Tuesday, November 5th against Delta State. Going to play uh, down in the Bahamas in, uh, in battle for Atlantis with a game against Iowa State. Uh, so um, kind of uh, actually leading into battle of Atlantis, this is one of those deals where it's exempt versus non-exempt. So they'll play a couple of games before that. Uh, they will play against Iowa State in Ames, Iowa. They've got William Carey, which is kind of a home game and kind of falls under that, and then will open in the Bahamas on November 27th, the uh, day before Thanksgiving, against Gonzaga. So um, is there some excitement about basketball being kind of just around the corner? Yeah, we, we sat down with Jay Ladner a little while ago, and, and man, he's excited to be in Hattiesburg. I don't know if I've seen a guy uh, on campus as excited as Jay Ladner has been in his first, uh, you know, really – four months or so on the job. Uh, they started practice last week, and, you know, welcome to the program, Jay Ladner. You get to play Iowa State, Gonzaga, and Texas Tech all before Christmas. Um, and if you win one down in the Bahamas, 
you know, North Carolina, Michigan, Seton Hall, Oregon, somebody's waiting on you also. So we kind of asked him, you know, what was going on with that, and uh, he just took it as a gift uh, to, to be at Southern Miss. So, yeah, an exciting non-conference schedule for the Golden Eagles, and they lost some pieces last year, but they're excited about some of the new pieces that he's brought in also. You got to help me with something on the schedule. I'm looking at uh, the beginning of Conference USA play on Monday, December 30th. Southern Miss hosts Louisiana Tech, and then five days later they go to Ruston and will play them again. What did we learn last year? That uh, with that bonus play stuff, scheduling you just kind of scratch your head sometimes with Conference USA. And yes, that schedule is correct. So we just double scratch our heads not only with bonus play. But uh, you get live tech really in a doubleheader in five days. Welcome to the start of conference play. You're going to say play the same team twice, home and away, in the first five days of uh, of the conference season. That is a weird scheduling quirk. It happens in the NBA where you'll go back to back. I mean, I I've always thought it was weird, like when the Grizzlies would play Toronto at home and then would turn around the next day and play Toronto north of the border. Um, you just don't see that in college basketball very often. Yeah, I think there's a reason for that, but <laughs> we don't make the schedule. We just play the schedule. Uh, but bonus plays back again. You know, that was an experiment last year. Uh, RPIs or, or the net rankings were down a little bit for it really to impact. But they're going to try it again this year. Uh, the last five games starting in February 22nd through March 7th, uh, they'll split them into uh, to brackets again and, and see if they can bump some nets up down the down the stretch. And then um, Conference USA Tournament will be in Frisco, Texas this year. Starts March the 11th. Um, there's some hoops. that uh, It'll be here before we know it. We've got a little bit longer before we kind of jump into uh, into that. Uh, football. Went on, on Saturday night uh, against UTEP. Seemed pretty, pretty conservative in the second part of the third quarter and in the fourth quarter, no scoring at that point. Uh, but Jack Abraham named Offensive Player of the Week in Conference USA after a big night, goes for over 350 yards passing, uh, which was a season high, and also, uh, what, three touchdown passes? Yeah, three touchdowns, most importantly. Didn't throw an interception. They jumped out early. It was bang, bang, 14 nothing. Uh, they held UTEP to a three and out, and then they, uh, it was a really cool double screen pass. They He looked to Quest to the left and, and, uh, and then threw it back to Michael Harris uh, to the right, and he went 75 yards to the house. And then they block a punt, and then uh, Harris runs it in again. So it was 14 to nothing five minutes in. Um, they left a few touchdowns on the field in the first half, and then really third quarter, man, you felt like they just moved into a ball-control offense, which kind of drove me batty, kind of frustrated a few Southern Miss uh, fans. They were trying to, you know, work on the running game some, um, but, you know, it was really kind of blah uh, for the last uh, – I guess 20 minutes of the game or so, you felt like you were watching almost a spring practice. Um, but it's a win. Uh, they probably could have put 45 to 48 up um, had they just kept putting it on. Um, sooner or later, you have to take your foot. You have to keep your foot on the gas uh, because North Texas is coming up. I got a feeling it may be Troy round two. Yeah, I mean, it, you just kind of look at the way the game flowed along. And it really feels like if they had wanted to, Southern Miss could have kind of lit up the scoreboard. And a night where you pretty easily could have seen Jack Abraham throw for over 400 yards if you continue to throw the ball in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah, that's the way. They were having their way in the secondary. Uh, what I did see from Buster Faulkner, they, they took vertical shots. Now, of course, in the Troy game and some more games, they were 
they were hitting uh, deep posts and, and stuff like that. But, man, they really took some vertical shot. Uh, Quez Watkins called a touchdown, and then they reversed the call. That pulled a touchdown off. But they, they really tried to stretch vertically. Um, Jack, uh, just characteristic Jack, I mean, just uh, he's about 70% of his pass is usually what he is. Kevin Perkins in the running game, um, and, and to Michael Harris was really all it was. Darius Mayberry got in there late. 168 yards on the ground, uh, probably the best performance of the year so far, uh, but not a 100-yard rusher. So they're trying to spread them out a little bit. Um, still would like to see, especially against the UTEP team, you to be able to run the ball. The offensive line is is uh, is, is is funny. I mean, they, they give good pass protection, just have a hard time running the football sometimes. Five games in, sitting at 3-2, and two, now an open date, three games, and it's home, road, road, and then another open date before UAB. This next game coming up against North Texas, homecoming on October 12th, night game in Hattiesburg. Is that the biggest game on the schedule? And I don't, I'm don't. i not talking like coach speak because it's the next game on the schedule, but is this the biggest one left on the schedule? Yeah, the, the Troy game in the first four was the biggest game because that would get you to 500 out of coming out of non-conference. North Texas is the biggest one. Uh, they were favored to, to, to win the West. Um, you schedule them for homecoming, a night game. They have, going into the season, the best offense in Conference USA, not just in the West. So you, you get them back at home. Really, two years ago, the Eagles expected to put it on North Texas and got embarrassed at home. Last year, you lose 30-7. to There's a lot riding on this game. Uh, and I think based off how UAB was exposed this last weekend, um, Louisiana Tech, North Texas, either one of them you could say that, uh, but but North Texas, I think, probably goes above Louisiana Tech in importance. So when you look at this North Texas team, it's kind of been up and down. They're 2-3 and three so far on the year. Smoked Abilene Christian to open the year. Got popped pretty good by SMU. Played Cal a tight game out in Berkeley. Hammered UTSA. And then got drilled this week by a Houston team that had, what, only one win coming in and just really not ever competitive in that ball game. So what do we know about North Texas? Well, North Texas, everybody thinks about Mason Fine and how electric the offense is, but last year they had a really good defense, and that was really the secret sauce of their team. Um, This year the defense has suffered. They lost uh, several guys on that side of the ball, and Mason Fine just isn't putting up the stats that he put up last year. And so – you know, you would look at how much they gave up, and you would think that the offense uh, might put up 40-plus against Houston, uh, might give SMU a better fight, but they just haven't been that great on both sides of the ball. And, I mean, that's just kind of the story in Conference USA so far this season, especially early in the season when everybody's playing out of conference. Uh, there's always a losing record, um, even against some uh, group of five teams. The North Texas just really hasn't lived up to their billing, and, uh, you know, that, that maybe the Eagles can take care of that. They would, it would sure – uh, the, the West is going to be kind of crazy because um, you just don't know what you're getting out of a few of these teams, and you feel like I feel like as as bad as Rice has been, um, I feel like Rice is going to knock off somebody they shouldn't down the stretch. Can't be the Golden Eagles, but you just feel like the West something's going to happen to upset the apple cart. You have to take care of stuff when you need to. All right, you told me better concession prices were going to be there. You also had the uh, rollout of beer sales. How did all of that go on Saturday night? I mean, to be honest, I didn't really see that much uh, alcohol uh, around us. Um, I knew that different people were in, in the, the uh, throughout the stadium uh, 
concessions were great. I mean, they had a much better job. Uh, refill lines, they have it where you can buy one cup and you can get free refills the rest of the game. That's really nice. So you could, they had a separate line for that. But Jeremy McLean's doing a great job to try to, to make the fan experience a lot better. And from the Alcorn game um, to this past Saturday night, there was just raving reviews about how the, how the athletic department did. Well done. Well done. Luke, appreciate uh, your time this afternoon. We will uh, talk to you a little bit later on. You, you got big plans for the open date? Uh, I'm headed to India, but I'll catch you guys Friday. So those are kind of big plans. Um, we'll yes. talk about some, some more about that Friday. And I need to mention in honor of Hey Dad that Michael Harris is from St. Aloysius. Thank you. <laughs> good, good to know. All right, Luke, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, guys. That is Luke Johnson from the Eagle Hour in Hattiesburg. We'll talk with him one more time before he goes to India. I think that's an annual trip for him. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Quick congratulations here. Sam Kendricks, who was a pole vaulter at Ole Miss in college, turned pro a few years ago. Uh, won a bronze medal at the Olympics uh, a couple of years ago, uh, has just completed a uh, pretty impressive run at the uh, track and field outdoor world championships in Doha, Qatar, or Qatar if you prefer. Um, he has won gold medal in the outdoor pole vaulting and is only the second man ever to have won that title in consecutive years. There was a guy back in the early 80s who won the first six pole vaulting national championships. So he won six consecutive, and uh, Sam Kendricks is only the second person ever to win consecutive world championships in the pole vault. So congratulations to uh, Sam. Really cool story there. All right, Borky. Mike Leach was a little more serious this week when talking about his football team, but he didn't pull any punches because he well, he doesn't like the attitude of his football team right now. No, not at all. And th- there's a money quote in here. He calls them fat, dumb, happy, and entitled. Uh, just very perfect Mike Leach. But, I mean, I, I cut about 215 worth of his press conference just because this is the kind of stuff you don't hear from coaches all that often uh, just brutal honesty some people are saying that he's throwing his team under the bus but i mean i guess that's up for you to decide this is refreshing honesty to me it's difficult to say because you saw a pretty tough football team play a very soft football team and uh you know, and it's difficult to say how tough Utah is because he had token resistance on both sides of the ball for us. And, um, well, we're a very soft team, you know. We get a lot of good press. We like to read it a lot. Uh, we like to pat ourselves on the back, um, you know. And if we get any resistance, we fold. And what's amazing about this is... Um, uh, most of these guys were on the same team last year that was a tough team. Last year's team was a tough team for us. Um, and uh, we got nearly the same guys, and now all of a sudden they're not tough. You know, they're fat, dumb, and happy, and entitled. So, 
Uh, I don't know if it's that. I think it's more individual than that. I think we've got a bunch of free agents running around there that think they're pretty special. And then, you know, as soon as something doesn't go their way, they want to pout. So I, I think I think it's more collectively soft. I think they I really think that over the off season, despite the fact we had incredibly hard work in the and we did work hard in the off season and we worked hard in camp. Um, then I think we get to the season and I think um, some collection of sitting around the apartments all the time talking about how great we're going to be. And eventually it evolves to how easy it's going to be. And then as soon as we face resistance, I mean, you know, we, we, we don't even fight it. Yeah, we didn't fight it today. Mike Leach. Seven offensive starters, six defensive starters returning from a year ago. He's in his eighth season at Washington State. Fat, dumb, happy, and entitled. Borky, you call it refreshing honesty. You also pointed out that there's some people who really don't like this. I heard Rick Neuheisel earlier today say he really didn't like it and that Mike Leach is the leader of that program. If they're fat, dumb, happy, and entitled, it's his fault that they are. And in fairness, later on in the press conference, I just wasn't going to play you six minutes worth of Mike Leach. He does say, uh, I don't see that attitude in my coaches, but apparently it's coming from somewhere and it it starts with me. So he, he did own it, but I just, you know, I wasn't going to play you all that. What do you guys think of this? I'd be honored to be called fat by Mike Leach. Aside from that, I don't get why Rick Neuheisel cares. Well, he's hosting a national radio show. They're talking about it. He's a former head coach. Seems like a weird thing to get offended about. No, I suppose. Check if he owned it. Anything you say bother you? Hey, Dad? No. Being honest. Doesn't like the way his team is playing. He's he's not the kind of guy to come out there and go, well, we're close to this, we're close to that. He's going to tell you how it is. That's just that's just the way that he is. What Speak- his team reacts to that? I mean, he's been doing it for so long that exact same way, right? And it it works or, or has worked, hasn't it? So maybe maybe they respond well. Yeah, you have to recruit a certain type of guy that can take that kind of thing. He had the um, the fat little girlfriends quote years ago, back in two thousand nine when he was still at uh, Texas Tech. He's talking about his players uh, blaming their fat little girlfriends for the uh, loss. That probably wouldn't play well in twenty nineteen. I wouldn't think so. He goes, uh, it "We didn't found play out Kansas well then. State, so A and M looks at the film all week. The Aggies strut around and laugh, you know, ho 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 ha ha ha." And they listen to their fat little old girlfriend, and pretty soon what happens in Manhattan happens. <laughs> well, the first thing we do in going to our meeting, we talk about we're going to respect everyone. We're going to fear no one. We're not going to compare scores, and we're not going to listen to our fat little girlfriends, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That was Mike Leach several years ago. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi into the 4 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Riffy will rejoin us in a little while, headed over to Ole Miss football practice for what those guys are allowed to watch for the first little bit. Thanks for uh, being with you, uh, being with us this afternoon. You can uh, text the show on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. One of the best new phones is here at C Spire, and C Spire is celebrating with a fully loaded deal. 
Buy the latest phone and get another one free, plus $100 off the newest wearable technology. Learn more at cspire.com. Cspire, customer inspired. I mentioned earlier I was in uh, Cspire today, and they've got that iPhone 11 in there and the le- uh, 11 Pro. It's got the three camera lenses on the back of it. Borky, have you seen those? Yeah, and so I haven't picked one up myself. Why are there three camera lenses on the back of the phone? Uh, you have like the uh, the regular and then the wide angle and the zoom lens. So three different ways that you can take pictures on it. So they're already filming movies on these phones. So basically you're going to be a professional photographer as well. Something like that. Isn't that true? It's some film festival where they had like three movies that were shot exclusively on iPhones and they looked no different than your regular movie. Yeah, I mean, like even so, I've got an iPhone 10 right now, and even on this, when you go to the video modes, I mean, you can you can change the like you can you can film in 4K. I mean, I know that's not breaking news. I'm just not a big film guy, but you can change the aperture speed and you can film it in like super high quality stuff. <laughs> I realize that's not the most technical explanation ever. Nailed it. Uh, I, I, I'm f- fully aware. Um, but I do know you can film in 4K if uh, if your heart desires. So you just got to figure out how to go in and do that in the settings. Uh, so, yeah, just more advancements in technology and uh, really cool stuff that you can get at C Spire right now. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, especially if you're a farmer, Give them a call. If you've not already done business with North Mississippi, you're, uh, with Mississippi Land Bank, you, uh, you're probably missing out uh, because Mississippi Land Bank uh, understands your industry. They've been financing and refinancing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. You can find a, uh, a branch location near you. They're all across the, uh, the northern part of the state. Their corporate office is in Senatobia, but also branch offices in Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. You can also just go to the contact tab and uh, get a phone number. Give them a call and talk to them about what it is that you need specifically. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's take a peek at uh, some of the lines on games that are coming up this week. Uh, A little bit better schedule nationally, but it's not the greatest schedule of games ever when you're talking about the first week of October. LSU in a non-conference game against Utah State. Given what LSU has done offensively, this number might actually be a little bit surprising. LSU is a 27-point favorite, but Utah State has been a pretty good football program in recent years. They've got um, a a first-year head coach, although a guy that is not unfamiliar with Utah State. Gary Anderson... The uh, head coach, he was the head coach there when they kind of got things rolling in the right direction. And maybe a little bit of a challenge for LSU. I know it's a big number, but a slightly less big number than we've seen so far. And you know when they're kicking that game off, right? It's at 11 a.m. It's an 11 a.m. kick, so one of those sleepy atmospheres. I mean, that's a... A Utah State team that went to San Diego State and won, which is something that UCLA could not do this year. They only lost by a field goal in the uh, season opener at Wake Forest. Undefeated Wake Forest, by the way. That's a pretty good Wake Forest team. 
Beat Stony Brook. Beat San Diego State by six. Beat Colorado State by ten. A little bit different. I, I will be... This is not the first time that LSU has played an 11 a.m. game this year. Remember, they also played Vanderbilt at 11 a couple of weeks ago in Nashville. But certainly the first time in a while that they've played an 11 a.m. home non-conference game. And it kind of took them... Well, I, I say this... It took them a little bit to get going defensively. Vanderbilt scored on them early in that game, and it, it was never in doubt, but it was closer than you expected because Vanderbilt scored some early. They kind of slept early. It's something about LSU and 11 a.m. kicks. I'm with you. It, they're not going to lose the game, but four touchdowns? I, I mean, I could see it. Yeah. Hey, Dad, does that number surprise you at all? No, if, if anything, I think it's a little low, to be totally honest. LSU is rolling, and uh, they're, they're, they're going to try to make as many statements as they can between excuse me, now and the Alabama game. I won't be surprised to see them win this game something like 63-20 to, to 20 or something like that. Whew. Big number. They are really good. I, I made this case on Twitter, and, and people told me I was on drugs, but why should... LSU not be ranked number one in the country right now for the 2019 football season? Well, if you want to do it just based on what's happened so far this year... Yeah, just what has happened this season. Why should LSU not be number one? Why is Auburn not number one? That's all, And that's another argument that you could make. Because it sure isn't Clemson. You could and, Clems- and, and Clemson lost their spot at the top of the polls. They were replaced by Alabama at number one in both polls this week. And, and I would say that Auburn and more so LSU have a better case for Alabama than Alabama for that number one spot. Yeah, Auburn and LSU have more impressive wins so far. I mean, LSU's got the, um, the win against Texas on the road and a win against Vandy on the road. And have dominated everybody else. Alabama has a neutral site win against Duke. And a home win against Ole Miss. And and obviously Southern Miss and whoever the other team was they played. New Mexico State. Auburn's, you know, neutral site win against Oregon, road win against Texas A&M, home win against Mississippi State. Auburn's got the best body of work of anybody in the country so far. Yes, they do. If, if, If we did polls starting in week, whatever this is, week five, week six, Auburn would be number one. Do you really believe that, though? Okay, let me change that then. Auburn should be number one. I would agree with that. That said, I'm still not buying just yet. (laughs) They're seventh. They're five and zero, and they've got a test this week. They go on the road. uh, AP number ten, Florida. Coaches poll number eight, Florida. Couple of undefeateds. Auburn five and zero. Florida five and zero. And Auburn is a three-point favorite on the road. You know how I like to put names on weekends? This is a knowledge weekend. We'll learn what Auburn and Florida have. I mean, even though Auburn's been tested a couple of times now already, you saw with Texas A&M, maybe they're not fully there yet. And I mean, that Oregon game is one that... Yeah, no maybe to that. Well, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So this is a, a real... Auburn's first real big-time test going on the road at Florida. So we'll learn if they're for real. If they go and win that game and look good doing it, Auburn's for real. And then same thing with Florida because they've been not sloppy so far, but they haven't really been all that impressive for a top-ten team, even though they've won every game they've played so far. 
So we're going to learn about them this weekend. So, so Florida has a neutral site win a week before everybody else played against Miami. And that was a close game. And they've got the road win against Kentucky, where if Kentucky doesn't miss a field goal, they lose. Felipe Franks is out for the year. They've got the win against Towson. Uh, that doesn't do anything for you. I mean, that, again, that game, we talked about it yesterday, was played in two hours and 45 minutes. I mean, Florida's most impressive win so far is Tennessee. And it's not yeah. because of who Tennessee is or anything else like that. It's just that it was a dominating performance. I don't feel like I know a ton about Florida right now. Auburn should be the favorite in this game. My question is whether or not they can just continue to do it because this is the beginning. Or well, I mean, Murderer's Row is kind of the entire Auburn schedule. Yeah, you know, we talked coming into the year about South Carolina having the most difficult schedule in the country, opening with North Carolina, playing Alabama and Texas A&M from the SEC West, and having Clemson at the end of the year. I don't know necessarily that that's changed, but Oregon's a pretty good football team. And Auburn still has to play at Florida, at LSU, and they've got Georgia and Alabama at home. It's just a gauntlet. There's something to this old Gus Miles on calling plays thing. Something he's good at, and that's why he got the job that he has, his play calling. My guess is that he has ceded control of the offense to a coordinator for the last time that this is not just a short-term, oh, Gus is going to call the plays until he figures out somebody to hand it off to. I think maybe he got the wake-up call that he needed, and that's going to be his gig. And he's either going to win big at Auburn with himself calling the plays, or he's going to lose the job calling the plays himself. We'll keep looking at some of the, uh, the SEC lines this week. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Also get to your questions on the C Spire text line. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Rippy will rejoin us coming up in uh, in just a little while. Um, let's run through the rest of these and then get to a uh, a question that came in on the C Spire text line from Paul and Starkville. That'll be in just a minute. So Auburn's a three-point favorite at Florida. Missouri, 24-point favorite at home against Troy. Troy's a team that can put some points on the board. We saw that against Southern Miss. Um, Georgia, a 24.5-point favorite on the road against Tennessee. Tennessee coming off the uh, the open date. Does that do anything for you? It's sad when you think about it. <laughs> it is sad. It's too low. Ole Miss a seven-point favorite at home against Vanderbilt. Is that about where that number should be? You would think so, yeah. Michigan favorite at home against Iowa. Everybody's perception of Michigan, air quotes, changed last week after their demolishment of Rutgers. Ooh, Rutgers. (laughs) You did see some of that, though. Oh, Shane Patterson looks much better today. Well, yeah, because it's Rutgers and not Wisconsin. So, yeah. Ohio State, three-touchdown favorite against Michigan State at home. Man, Ohio State's been impressive. And man, did Michigan State fall apart. They were in the playoffs, what, three years ago, four years ago? Well, they're ranked. Yeah. 
And they're a three-touchdown dog <laughs> to yeah, a I mean, division opponent. Offensively, though, they've just been a disaster this yeah, year. Yeah, but it's like it is a, that program was right there, right there at the top of the Big Ten, and they have taken a big step back. Another team that has taken a step back is Stanford. Whew. Washington is a uh, two-touchdown and change favorite, 14.5-point favorite against Stanford at Stanford. Oregon is a 17.5-point favorite at home against Cal. Without Garbers. So how long is he going to be out? Uh, I didn't see it. Um, Wilcox is very similar to... Yeah, they don't, they don't talk about injuries. They don't talk about injuries, but it's, it's an extended period of time. Texas is an 11.5-point favorite at West Virginia. That seems a revenge game, right? Wasn't the horns down game last year? Yeah, but they also had Will Greer and Dana Holgerson. That's what I'm saying. It's a revenge for Texas. No, I understand. I understand. Speaking of horns down, I saw where at the Red River, uh, can't call it shootout anymore, at the Red River rivalry, uh, the Oklahoma cheerleaders have been instructed to not ever do the horns down gesture. Soft. Why is, why is Texas so weird about that? Because they're soft. Silly. Silly. Well, what Mike Leach would think about that. At least my Cubbies won't be in the playoffs. <laughs> Paul and Stark will ask this question. He says, Richard. I'll say, and hey, Dad. Do you think Rutgers will succeed in maybe hiring Joe Moe? Your opinion? I do not. No. Um, Joe Moorhead is the head football coach at an SEC Western Division program. I, I understand the tie because he's Pennsylvania guy. And... You know, Piscataway, New Jersey, not terribly far from that. So it would, in a sense, kind of be like going home. But explain to me how that makes sense. I mean, there's a, there is a pretty good argument to be made that Rutgers is the worst Power 5 job out there, period. And Joe Moorhead is at a place that is far from being the worst Power 5 job. And he got to a bowl game a year ago. And there's a pretty strong likelihood that they get to a bowl game again this year. I mean, I, for, for all the gnashing of teeth, when you look at Mississippi State's schedule, the likelihood is they get six or seven wins, which means another bowl game. And he's making a bunch of money. And he, Joe Moorhead, believes in what they're doing even though there is some discontent among fans. But the reality is there's going to be discontent among fans everywhere. And I'm not sure why you would leave, uh, unless you are convinced that you're about to be fired from your job, which is not about to happen in Starkville. It's just not. Then why would you leave a job in the SEC to go coach in the Big Ten at the worst job in the Big Ten? Just doesn't make sense. I mean, if you can't win at Mississippi State, you certainly aren't going to win at Rutgers. Rutgers is never going to win. You will never, never. I was talking about this on the podcast the other day. I said, you know, is there a scenario that Mississippi State could win the SEC in the future? 
And yeah, that, that scenario, it's very small, but it does exist. It involves Saban leaving Alabama and sort of things coming back to normal a little bit where, you know, it's not the same. It's not Alabama every year. But there's a slight possibility. There is no possibility for Rutgers to win the Big Ten. It, just, it does not exist. New Jersey puts out some good football players. I mean, they do, but those kids aren't going to Rutgers. Unless, Certainly not know, presently. Yeah, I mean, probably never. I mean, there's three reasons why his name's getting floated, right? It's, one, agents are good at their jobs and are, are using other open positions for leverage to get extensions and raises and stuff like that. Uh, two, Rutgers is just shooting for the stars and are going to show their fan base that we are trying to get you a football coach and even if we go to the SEC and they say no, at least you know that we tried. Or three, the least likely is that he is, for some reason, interested in the job. But it's got to be one of those first two, right? You would think, yeah. Well, and, I mean, this job has now been open for like 48 hours. Maybe not even quite that long, the Rutgers job. And there's a lot of football still to be played. And I know once the coaching carousel starts spinning, it spins quickly and waits on no one. It kind of just operates on its own. But it feels like his name being out there is just kind of a result of some people put together hot list boards and who all's name can we put on there. I mean, scarletnation.com, which is the Rutgers 24-7 site, has, you know, a quote-unquote hot board with like 20 names on it. Candidates with head coaching experience. Major Applewhite, Brett Bielema, Craig Bowl, James, uh, Jason Candle, Rod Carey, Dave Clawson, Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle's at Cincinnati. Not leaving that job for Rutgers. Al Golden, Todd Graham, John Harazmiak, Mark Helfrich, Butch Jones, Lane Kiffin, Jim Levitt, Lance Leopold, Doug Marone, Jeff Munkin, Joe Moorhead, Pat Narduzzi, Bo Pelini, Mark Richt, Rich Rodriguez, Greg Schiano, Bob Surace or Sirachi, head coach at Princeton. He's been there since 2010. And then they put, to, put together a list of coordinators and assistants. It's just a bunch of names. That's not a list. A, a hot board. Now, for the readers of scarletnation.com, of course you put that together and you just throw down a bunch of lists, a bunch of names. Because the best time for sites like that to generate subscribers and revenue is when you got a coaching search going on. And so you got to put together content. And so that's there. But, I mean, I've got Mike Elko's name on the list. He's the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. One, I'm not sure that Rutgers will pay as much as Texas A&M is paying him as a defensive coordinator. And two, why would Mike Elko go to that job? Given that he's making almost $2 million a year at Texas A&M, and if they get the defense going in two years, he's going to have an opportunity to go to a better job than that. And I'm not knocking the Rutgers job. Phil Longo's name's on the list. Oof. 
of assistance. It's not like yeah. Chris Ash was some nobody either. I mean, he was a defensive coordinator at Ohio State, at Arkansas. He was on the Wisconsin staff for a while. I mean, he had some pedigree and could not get it done there. It's a tough job. I mean, the only guy that has won at Rutgers is Greg Schiano, and there's been some discussion about, okay, is Greg Schiano ready to come back home? Didn't Greg Schiano just step away from football altogether this year? And There's some I, talk, though, that maybe he sort of saw this coming down the road and wanted to have an opportunity to go back. So, we'll yeah, see. Maybe so. Maybe so. Doesn't feel like it would be the worst hire. You never quite know about the second act, though. There are a lot of good memories from Shiano in the first time, and then he parlayed that into an NFL gig and been several different places since then. Looked for a little while like he was going to be the head coach at Tennessee. That obviously didn't happen. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Thanks for the question, Paul. I just don't see it happening. Jason sends us a message saying that Shiano did okay at Rutgers. And he did. But you got to remember, Rutgers was not part of the Big Ten during that time period. When Greg Shiano was the coach there, he had 11 seasons at Rutgers, 2001 to 2011. They were in the Big East. And the best finish they had, I mean, there's a little revisionist history there. There were some good teams in that window, especially in the second half of the the tenure for Shiano. The best they ever did was tie for second in the Big East. 2006, they tied for second, went 11-2, and won the Texas Bowl. And in 2008, they tied for second, going 8-5, and and won the PapaJohns.com Bowl. Not even sure where that is now. Against NC, where was the Papa John's Bowl? Wasn't it in Birmingham? Was the Birmingham Bowl the PapaJohns.com Bowl for a while? I think so. Because the 2008 PapaJohns.com Bowl was at Legion Field in Birmingham. I remember okay. Feinbaum doing a big thing about that, about how Papa John's would not deliver to the neighborhood surrounding Legion Field. <laughs> Probably a wise decision. Yeah, well. Shiano left in 2011. In 2012, under Kyle Flood, Rutgers went 9-4 and four and won the Big East. Really, they tied for first in the Big East. Lost in the Russell Athletic Bowl to Virginia Tech. Then they spent one year in the American Athletic Conference, and then in 2014 made the transition to the Big Ten. Since joining the Big Ten, 8-5 in year one, 4-8, and 2-10, 4-8, 1-11. Pretty big hole that Rutgers has dug itself into. There was a stat the other day. I think I, I hope I'm getting it correct. It said since Rutgers has joined the Big Ten, there have been 19 conference game shutouts, and Rutgers has been shut out in nine of them. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty rough. So we talked a little basketball earlier. Let's jump even farther ahead on the athletic calendar. D1 Baseball, as part of its off-season content, they do a bunch of coverage of, you know, kind of fall preview pieces for teams. They put together a list of the top 100 baseball programs. The rationale was this. We started out by awarding programs points for making regionals and having postseason success in the last five years and a fewer amount of points for success between six and ten years ago. That gave us a starting point. Then Aaron Fitt and Kendall Rogers 
made adjustments based on evaluations of coaching staff quality and stability, facilities, scholarship financial aid situation, conference dynamics, momentum, recruiting, player development, proficiency, etc. Said it's more of an art than a science, but we tried to take as many factors into consideration and debate our uh, rankings internally at length. Reasonable minds will disagree on the rankings, and we want to hear your take. And they've got a comment section. So here is how they rank the top 100 programs. We clearly won't go through the entire list. Um, how do we? Southern Miss is at number 33. So when you look across all the 300 plus college baseball programs in the country, that puts Southern Miss in the top 10 percent nationally. Pretty good spot. Um, directly in front of Southern Miss, Indiana at 32, Michigan at 31, Arizona State at 30. How about Arizona State as a program being at 30, considering where they were as a program a decade ago? All right, so top of the list. Number one overall, Florida. Number two, Vanderbilt. Three, Arkansas. Four, LSU. Five, Louisville. Number six is Oregon State. Number seven, Florida State. It's probably the first one that I might quibble with a bit. Number eight, Mississippi State. Texas Tech is nine. TCU is ten. Ole Miss makes the top 20. They are at number 19, directly behind South Carolina, and directly in front of Coastal Carolina. So let's do this. Let's start with where Ole Miss is at 19 and kind of work our way up. And you tell me, of the programs in front of Ole Miss, who you think maybe Ole Miss should be ahead of? South Carolina at 18. They should be ahead of South Carolina. Currently? Yeah. Oklahoma State. They've been a pretty consistent program, but... Building a new stadium as well, but... Yeah, they're, that... they're rolling out about a 50 or $60 million stadium next season. It's and Josh Holiday's done a good job. Yeah. Texas at 16. Is Texas back? In baseball, they didn't really leave. <laughs> eh, missed the postseason a couple of years. I guess, yeah. Been the World Series two years ago, right? Yeah. Two? Yeah. That's right, because they beat uh, they beat they Tennessee Indiana. Tech in Tennessee um, was, yeah. Yep. Yep. Beat Tennessee Tech in the uh, in the super regional. Uh Cal State Fullerton at fifteen. I mean, traditionally, yes, but that's bad conference, bad stadium, a lot of success through the years. They have that one fan, though. <laughs> UCLA at 14. I mean, they won the national title in, what, 13, so that's that's in that six-year window they were talking about. Yeah, and I mean, they were, they were really, number one most really of the year, good but last year. They were really good, but... From a program standpoint, I mean, they play in a, a high school stadium. 
North Carolina at 13. Virginia at 12. They've taken a step back in recent years. They really have. Five years ago, they would have been a top-five program. Texas A&M at 11. TCU at 10. Is Texas A&M ahead of Ole Miss as a program? I don't I don't see a huge gap between those two. It doesn't feel like it, does it? A&M hasn't been to the World Series in the last five years, have they? They did mention they were taking into account the scholarship, back, like the resources part of it. Does A&M have a greater advantage, significantly greater advantage than Ole Miss in that regard? Seems like everybody has a significantly greater advantage. Oh yeah, than Mississippi good point. Schools yeah. than, than, than Mississippi and Alabama. Yeah. yeah. But does that? I mean, does that make it better? Because facilities are kind of a wash. I guess Bluebell Park is newer, but I mean, it's a wash. Postseason success is a wash. Day, yeah. TCU at ten. I got no problem with that. Texas Tech at nine. Same. Then you get to Mississippi State at eight. All right. So maybe. Ole Miss at 19, you probably wouldn't quibble with them being at 15, 14, but probably so, not a whole lot higher than that. It's fair. So, with, with when I before I I, I read what the, the the rankings were based on, and I, if I if you're just doing it from a perception standpoint, to me, I think everybody in the state's underrated. I would have Southern in the top 25. I would have Ole Miss in the top ten, and I'd have State in the top five. But if you're going to give me like actual, you know, quantifications and stuff, sure, which which is what they did. I mean, they're they're talking about postseason success, coaching staff stability. I mean, for example, Florida being at one. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan's staff has been a model of consistency. For some reason, I think maybe somebody left last year. No, no, that's not true. Because no. Florida played in Oxford last year, and we talked with some or with uh, O'Sullivan, with Sully before. He, he's had the same staff for like eight years or eleven years or something like that. So model of consistency on the staff, contrast incredible that with recruiting State. base. Do what? Contrast that with Mississippi State. There you go. Um, incredible recruiting base, about to open a brand new stadium, postseason success, including a national. Cha- I mean, for for all those reasons. Florida number one. No problem at all with that. Vanderbilt at two. Kind of hard to argue with. I would have had Vanderbilt number one, personally. Recruiting advantages that nobody else in America has. Yeah, what or makes, very few. What makes Florida's program better than Vanderbilt's? The stadium that they're about to open. Yeah. But even with the stadium, as you mentioned, I mean, it's so much easier for Vanderbilt to acquire talent that nobody else can. Yeah. Is Arkansas in front of LSU? I mean, is that you buying that? Yeah, I'll buy that. But it's really, really close. Louisville at five. I mean, that's kind of a sneaky good spot. Yeah. I mean, five trips to the College World Series for uh, Dan McDonald in what is it, fourteen years? Yeah. Twelve years, whatever whatever the number is. Now is that the program or the coach, is it, though? Yeah. Is Oregon State inflated by winning three? I mean, this sounds funny, right? But are they inflated by winning three national titles in the last what ten, twelve years? See, yeah, I think yes, of course they are. They win it in 07 and 08 and then two years ago. 
We'll continue this in just a second. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. We're looking at this list from D1 Baseball where they rank the top 100 college baseball programs, not college baseball teams. 299 Division I baseball programs. I think that was as of last year. That number goes up and down a little bit. So there you see. Um, Mississippi State was ranked eighth on this list from uh, D1 Baseball. Ole Miss was ranked 19th. Southern Miss was ranked 33rd. We were talking about Oregon State a second ago, and hey, Dad, you asked the question as to whether or not the fact that they won three national championships in the last 12 seasons skews it a little bit. <laughs> That's such a when weird way to say it, you ask that question out right? loud, it's like, yeah, yeah probably. Does, does Alabama winning a bunch of national titles? Yeah. But but you see what I'm saying? Like, that, like they weren't even in the postseason this year, correct? Or were they they eliminated in their own regional? I think that's what it was. I mean, they've, they, they've yes, had they, some, they they've lost had, in the Corvallis regional this past year. They've had three really really great seasons, but then they've had some other years where they're they're not even close. And Pat Casey stepped down two yeah. years ago, so little lack of stability from a facility standpoint. Golf Stadium's nice, but nice in comparison to what? I mean, they get the best crowd support on the West Coast, but that puts them at twenty. Second nationally or something like that. Right. Oh, six oh seven, they win the national title. The next five years, no no postseason. Out in the regional, out in the regional, out in the super regional, out in the regional. I mean, but they still yeah. have three trophies yeah. in a twelve year span. A total of one, two, three, four, five. They have, since two thousand five, I guess I should say they have six College World Series appearances. So since two thousand five, so in a 14-year window. They've been to the College World Series six times with three national championships. Yeah. That makes you a top-ten program. Yeah, I guess. Maybe a top-five program. They're only two spots better than Mississippi State. Yeah. I don't know. I just... Like I said, they're, they're, they're a program that means just a little bit up and down. They have really high highs, but they have some lows, too. Florida State. They go to the postseason every year. Prior to last season, there had been no turnover at coach. I think their stadium's overrated big time. You've been there, right? Me? Yes. No, I have not. Okay. I guess I thought that in one of the 78 times that Mississippi State had played in a regional (laughs) in Tallahassee, you had been. I've been to Tallahassee, but I've never been to Florida State's baseball stadium. Okay. A ton to quibble with here. I mean, I, I, you probably could make an argument for Mississippi State being a spot or two higher. Um, well, like I said, coaching stability has, has to have hurt State. I mean, you talk about the, and the scholarship situation yeah. in the state of Mississippi since, is a mark against since them. what 2015 State's had four head coaches, five pitching coaches, and I guess you call it. I always thought Cohen was the hitting coach, but whatever Mingione's role was, what, three or four different guys in that role? I mean, yeah, there's not yeah. a 
It, it's it's and yet the program has been good. That 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 to me, that's why I would say I would rank state higher. Is that despite all that flux, they've they've still won. And obviously, high marks for the stadium. Yeah, the highest of marks for the the stadium. It's not bad. Uh, okay, so so with that said, Mississippi State at eight. Let's do what we did with Ole Miss a second ago. We kind of worked our way up to the top ten and said, yeah, maybe four or five programs you'd move them up over. I mean, you you, you could move Ole Miss from nineteen to twelve, thirteen, fourteen, somewhere in that spot. Mm-hmm. Maybe ten or eleven. Yeah. Um. To me, there's not much difference in Texas A&M and Ole Miss. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, a little more postseason success for TCU, who they've got at number ten. So, if both jobs were open, which one would you want, Ole Miss or TCU? Mm-hmm. Ole Miss. I don't know what that means, but it's an interesting angle. I mean, top three in the country in crowd support, top five or six or seven stadium, and that's completely subjective. No, it's it, but it's, I feel that way. I feel the problem with Texas TCU is look plus at it's private and it's expensive, and they don't yeah. get the help that Vanderbilt gets. I mean, it's sixty grand got, a year to go to TCU. You've got Texas Tech, TCU, Texas A and M, and Texas all in the top sixteen. Ole Miss has got state, and that's it. I mean, Southern's, Southern is below them, so yeah, I mean, that, that's a that's a lot. That's a lot. So, of so who above can... Mississippi State would you move? I, I would be okay with moving them above Florida State. Yeah, it's tough to move them above Oregon State with national titles, but honestly, in the last four years, anyway, what have what have Arkansas and LSU done that State hasn't? Probably better recruiting situations. That's that's basically it. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Two hours in the books. Colt Kublik going to join us on the Farm Bureau phone line in the 5 o'clock hour. College football fix coming up as well. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Corky going deep into the archives. Yeah. Spicy. We had some new music the other day, didn't we, Borky? A little bit, yeah. I like that. I like it when Borky surprises us. I checked the text line once every, like, every two weeks, and I saw the other day that someone had asked Borky if they canceled uh, the Fight Song Fridays because of me. <laughs> just felt bad for you. <laughs> Borky answered with no. He was just throwing you a bone. I can't remember what song it was. That was a Buffett was song. Buffett. Buffett. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Cole Kubelik will join us uh, in about 15 minutes, or at least scheduled to do so. Glad to have you along. Got, uh, got Rippy back. You heard his voice. Rippy, Borky, Hey Dad, and uh, and me. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you, uh, as I said, by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Hey, we were talking college baseball a second ago and Ole Miss released its baseball schedule for 2019 I have not seen that Mississippi State has done that yet so this is not a well I'm going to give you Ole Miss but not give you states is it coming more okay when the time's right east opponent west opponent (laughs) okay you're chuckling aren't you hey dad I chuckled he's funny I can take um, a joke. Listen to this schedule. Not fun. 
Louisville, three-game series to open. Arkansas State, Xavier for a three-game series, Southern Miss. Those eight are at home. They will go to Greenville, North Carolina, for the Keith LeClaire Classic. We'll play High Point, East Carolina, and Indiana. Come back home for a game against Memphis and a series with Princeton. We'll play two midweek road games against ULM. So they're headed to Monroe. I like to think that's Mike throwing me a bone. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I miss you. Uh, I guess that's probably spring break week. Tuesday, Wednesday. We'll cut. Okay, so so that's fine. There's your non-conference slate leading into league play. LSU at home to open SEC play. On the road against A&M. Arkansas at home. South Carolina at home. At Mississippi State. And those dates. Vandy. Looks like Richard, huh? those dates. April 9th through 11th at 9, Mississippi 10, State. That Super Bowl like weekend. That has to be, right? You would think. Super Bowl dog, yeah. You would think so. Revenge game after that against North Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> so at Mississippi State, likely for Super Bowl Dog Weekend. Vandy, Mississippi State again for the Governor's Cup. At Florida, at Georgia in back-to-back weekends. Auburn, and then at Bama to close it out. Ole Miss draws Florida, Georgia, and Vanderbilt from the East. That's the story here, along with the SEC start. Elish, I mean, they start with the three best programs, not including Mississippi State in the West, right? Because you're always going to get State in April, presumably. Or LSU, Alabama, Arkansas, three straight weekends? Yeah. That's tough. I'm sorry. I didn't say it. LSU, A&M, Arkansas. Yeah. You close off, though, at Alabama. Auburn at home at Alabama. After consecutive weeks in Gainesville and Athens, the thing is, it doesn't really like light, lighten up at all because I mean, you got stayed in mid-April and then at Florida, at Georgia, back-to-back weekends, and then Auburn and Alabama. Like I don't really yeah. know what Auburn's going to be like this year, but man, yeah. After the after the South Carolina series at State, Vandy, State in the Governor's Cup at Florida at Georgia, that is that is as brutal a stretch as you will ever find in college baseball. I, the start's pretty brutal, too. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I mean, when, when you're talking about 10 series, and you know you've got six teams from the West, and then your East opponents, when when the, the down team is South Carolina, and you get Florida, who likely will bounce back from a down season a year ago, Georgia, who spent most of the year in the top five and has a potential? They got a top five arm, like a top five draft pick arm on that staff. And Vandy, who's normally pretty good, especially by the time you get to mid-April. If they can get around that scholarship thing, they should be okay. Maybe if Kumar Rocker can take a jump this year, they could be they could be a contender. <laughs> He's out to validate if last season was the real deal. <laughs> so, so, I mean, listen, I get life in the SEC's hard, period. But a schedule that includes Louisville, Southern Miss twice, 
Mississippi State four times, East Carolina, and then from the East, Vanderbilt, Georgia, and Florida? Which it would be interesting. And the RPI is going to be good, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, not to go too far into what would be really interesting is, like, to Mike's credit, his team's never really crater in SEC play. That, you're right about ever. that. Ever. And with a young, really young team in that slate, it would be interesting to see how he gets them through that again. Or if, I guess. Is 13 and 17 his worst SEC record ever? Oh, don't. I think, but I, I, I don't know that for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fair. But it's it's never like cratered. Like it's never gone single digits where you just have a year. There's never been a twenty-two and eight or a twenty-one and nine. But there's, but there's never been a ten and twenty. Either. Yeah, they're always in the mix. But that's a rough look. Rough sledding. I, I will say this: we'll move on from baseball after this. When that's your fifty-six game schedule, you don't have to win forty to host this year. Okay, so. Alex Alex Sims, the SID, I guess this pretty much knots it up pretty good. 32 games against 2018 NCAA tournament teams, 22 games against 40 wind clubs, 20 games against super regional teams, and 16 games against college World Series teams. Gah! <laughs> <laughs> that voice you heard was Hey Dad's, by the way. That, that is that is uh, rough. Wow. But, I mean, I mean I'm not being flippant. No, that's too you, you don't you don't have to win forty to host next year. Oh, I, the, the RPI should not be a problem for the Rebels. It depends on yeah. I, I wouldn't think, but you know, weird stuff. There's always weird stuff happening. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but I mean, if that's a thirty-six win team with an RPI of three that goes fourteen and sixteen in the league, I'm just saying. I'm getting way, way, way down the line. Um. That was your college football fix, Borky. <laughs> with just a little bit of a baseball flair. Yeah, play the music. Co- there we go. Yeah, college football fix with a baseball flair on this Tuesday. Driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out how the uh, why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. They still, for a limited time, have the leather and liner at no additional cost promotion going on the year-end model 2019 F-150 XLTs. Check that out at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Hey, Dad, have you heard anything about Mississippi State's baseball schedule? Like any whispers as to what the non-conference is going to look like? Uh, I don't know if I eat. I don't think I was allowed to say. But, yes, I have. Sorry. Okay. But I do. I do think it's coming very soon is what I was told. Anybody interesting in the non-conference for like a home slate? That I don't know. Okay. And I don't see that Southern Misses has been released yet either. Uh, so surely in the coming days we will uh, we'll get those. Um, Cole Kubel going to join us. In, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say we've got this uh, North Carolina Clemson story that that can uh, suffice as the actual college football fix if you want to do that. Do it. Let's do it. Have you seen this? Yes. Go yeah, take us down this road. So so Clemson beat North Carolina by 1 on Saturday and North Carolina's athletic director today had to issue a public apology and responded to every email he received which was an extensive list from Clemson fans 
being very upset and offended at some tricks they played on the video board during the game. So this is not actually unique to North Carolina. NBA teams do this all the time. But on the video board, they would find Clemson fans in the stands and caption the video of of a Clemson fan just existing in their stadium. They had captions that would say, thinks Clemson is in Georgia, can't name Clemson's last head coach, also a Patriots fan, stuff like that, calling them bandwagon fans. And they did it multiple times in different ways throughout the game. Clemson fans were so triggered and mad about that, they flooded his email today, and he publicly apologized for being funny at a college football game. Everybody's a loser here because that's hilarious and he apologized for being funny and Clemson fans, my goodness. They're coming off a national championship. Shut up. It's almost like college sports fans are overly sensitive or something. And Bubba Cunningham, don't apologize. Uh, He says, uh, we want everyone who comes to Chapel Hill to have a positive experience on our campus, whether there are our supporters or our opponent's fans, first-time visitors, or long-time guests. We regret that it was produced. Shut up. Say, get over yourselves. Have fun. It's football. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along. I sent Kendall Rogers a message a second ago. Ask him if he had uh, seen Ole Miss's schedule released, and his response was R.I.P. Whew. R.I.P., but R.P.I. as well. Yeah, I said R.P.I. won't be an issue. I think he agreed on that front. Um, we are scheduled to visit with Cole Kubelik from the SEC Network and... ESPN, college football analyst there. We'll see if that works out. Uh, trying to track him down right now. Um, we're looking at the, the games involving SEC teams this weekend. Rippy, I know you had stepped away. That Auburn-Florida matchup, and I know you've been driving the Auburn train. I, I understand that. And the Gus bus. I, I guess that would be the Gus bus, yes. I have, driving him all the way to Fayetteville to sign that contract. This... um. It's kind of an interesting matchup with Florida this weekend, isn't it? I think Auburn wins by 10. Why? Because I don't think Florida's any good. Why? I think Florida has a good defensive line, and everything else is very average. They uh, Florida does lead the SEC in sacks. Cole Kubelik joins us right now from the SEC Network and uh, ESPN College Football Analyst. Let's just stick with that line uh, of conversation Cole, talking about Auburn and Florida this weekend, Rippy's convinced that Auburn goes and, and wins this game by double digits because he doesn't think that Florida is that good outside of their defensive line. What do you think? Uh, I think they have areas of their team that are good outside of their defensive line. Uh, I think the secondary is good. Uh, I think the linebackers are pretty good. I think the wide receivers and the tailbacks are pretty good. they got great skill. So. I wouldn't say that the defensive line is the only good unit on that football team. How good is Auburn? Oh, man. Uh, That's tough because I think when you're talking about an offense that's done some good things, that's that's been pretty good at times, but it's still growing and maturing, um, I'm not – 100% 100% sold on that being a great unit yet, but I think the defense is elite. I think the defense is best in the SEC. They tackle well. Uh, they've got the best defensive line in college football. They can be dominant up front, 
and they've got guys who can cover and are physical on the outside and on the back end. And Kevin Steele's gotten pretty comfortable with that group. He knows who can do what, and they have a lot of versatility on the back end. They can move guys around from either their nickel spots or corner spots back and forth. So that versatility can be confusing for a lot of offenses. I think the defense is great. I think the offense is still catching up, but has a chance to be pretty good. Was Saturday night a, a, a massive step forward for Bo Nix and his maturity, or do the numbers not necessarily mean that he took a massive step forward? Well, I think what happened is you're, you're talking about a, a freshman quarterback that got a 21-point lead, and all of a sudden his coaching staff was able to sit back and say, all right, let's right, we're comfortable. Let's just go see what he can do. And maybe we can find out what else he has, how his progressions look, how his reads look, and we'll learn a little bit more about what kind of a quarterback he really is. It's a nice luxury early in the game, and I think they they just said, hey, let's cut him loose, let's let him sling it a little bit. And he found some things he liked. They found some things they liked for him. He uh, was more accurate on his deep balls than he's been in the entire season. And some of his receivers helped him by making some plays. I mean, that's, that's just the reality of it, but... I think they needed that. I think they needed to be in that spot in the game. Because let's be honest, they weren't in – I mean, they were in a, a comfortable spot in the first half against A&M, but they still had to kind of battle to hold on to win that game. Obviously, the Oregon game, they needed to drive towards the end of the game to win that one. So, it, as far as legitimate competition goes, they haven't really been in a spot where they can just work some things uh, until, you know, after, I guess, the eighth play against Mississippi State when they are up 21 to nothing. So, they had that opportunity there, and they took full advantage of it. Have we seen Gus cede control of the offense to somebody else for the last time? Um, this situation, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what? I don't think there. I don't think there's any more back and forth. I mean, I, I think I think the next move, if there is one, is going to be a head coaching change. Like, I don't think anybody else is stepping in saying you can save your job with assistant moves or coordinator moves or anything like that. I think he's done yeah. with that. I think he. And if this season goes the way it's been going so far, even if he loses two, maybe even three of these games, look what they have left. I mean, hell, they play what? One, three, four, and ten. What is it? One, three, four. Yeah, I guess that's right. Four more. I mean, top Alabama teams. and Georgia and Florida, yeah. And LSU. And LSU. LSU's there. So, you know, three teams in the top six, they still have left to play. I mean, if they lost those three and beat Florida – you know, beat Ole Miss, beat Arkansas, beat Sanford. I mean, that's still a heck of a year against that schedule and some good wins on that schedule. So, And with a freshman quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I think he's earned the ability at that point to be able to just fend those people off. And, and I, I don't think that's something that, that we're going to have to worry about changing hands anymore. It's who he is. It's what he wants to do. It's probably what he should have been doing all along. And I think – I think where he can grow in the future, and this may be happening right now with Kenny Dillingham, we don't know. I don't, I don't talk to him enough. I don't know Kenny Dillingham that well. But maybe he's learning to take some of what he likes and incorporate it. Maybe he's, maybe he's learned to have a better balancing act of ideas into his system that can help him be more effective. I think that's really what you need more than anything else to grow as a head coach is – to take other people's ideas, to continue to help find different ways for your team to be successful. And instead of being stubborn and just thinking that things that you've done for five or ten years are going to continue to work. Yeah. 
Cole Kublik on your radio, college football analyst who will be on the sidelines in Oxford on Saturday night for uh, for Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. Final two drives of the game against Alabama. Ole Miss had nine freshmen on the field. Uh, every point that was scored in the game was scored by a freshman. And Ole Miss fans walked away from the game, despite losing by four touchdowns on the road, seemingly encouraged in some areas. Do you believe that there is good reason for optimism among Ole Miss fans, or are they looking at it the wrong way? No, I I think the team is growing. I've seen growth. I've seen some better things from the offensive line. Um, I mean, obviously, we talked about it at at the end of that Arkansas game. I thought they had you know, a couple of must-have moments late in that game, and they got them. And then you've seen a couple of instances in games since then where they've improved some things and be able to open some things up. You're seeing the playmakers, the ball begin to be spread around to, to guys who can make plays a little bit more, whether it's Jerion Ely, whether it's Snoop Connor. I still want to see Tyler Knight get a little bit more involved. But I think they're finding guys who can help them make some plays on the perimeter. And and obviously, I mean, you get Plumlee in there last week, and he just he changes the dynamic of everything. And you know, I think now you have a different option of, of what you can do with with mobility at the quarterback position and design quarterback runs. Uh, defensively, you know, you see a guy like Kadir Shepard do some really positive things. I think his new home is one that's really helping him, um, and, and he's obviously able to make some plays and affect plays in a very different way. So, I think fundamentally they still need to grow. I mean, obviously blocking and tackling are the two key components of, of playing football, and there's area for growth there in both of those departments, but. It's significant improvement in one, at least, fundamental defense, the structure of the defense, way ahead of where it was last year. And then I think along the offensive line, when you're playing that much in experience and that much youth and you're rotating guys in, you, you don't have much of an option but to go with what you have. And I have seen some improvement from that group. So you know, it's still early in these systems, and I think you're seeing some talent begin to emerge. And I, 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 this, I think the offense can be pretty dangerous by the end of the year and one that's going to give some people some fits. And you look down the schedule, and there's a couple teams on that schedule that look very different than they did three or four weeks ago. So yeah. uh, I think there's some there's there's room for there to be really positive days ahead this season. I don't know anything. I'm just making an assumption here, but I'm assuming that, that if Matt Corral is healthy, <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot, Cole. Uh, I'm assuming that if Matt Corral's healthy, that he's going to start. And, and a more accomplished passer at this point. But I believe that there's probably a package for John Rice Plumley. Matt Luke alluded to as much. We've only got a minute or so left. How would you handle that? Well, you you have to have Plumley involved somehow. He's legitimately dynamic running the football. I mean, it's one thing to have some mobility. It's another thing to be able to run past Alabama defenders. And he was able to do that on a couple occasions. So he has the kind of wheels that I think you have to have installed somewhere in your offense for defenses to at least have to defend it and potentially to be able to give you some explosive plays. So I agree with you on, on the every down quarterback part uh, because you still need balance and you're still going to need to push the ball down the field in this league, really in any league in college football these days. But Plumley has to have some snaps because he seems like he's just that dangerous on the ground. Cole, thanks a lot. Look forward to seeing you this weekend in Oxford. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Cole Kubelik. College football analyst, the SEC Network, and ESPN. Interesting thoughts there from him.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.